What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. After a couple of weeks off, it is great to be back with you, Labs. Did you have any uh, life-changing events happen to you over the past couple of weeks? Not me. How about you? Well, uh, I did get a new hat. I ate out at some new restaurants, <laughs> and uh, I guess I welcomed a baby boy with my wife. So, yeah, I, a small one there at the end. So your life has changed <laughs> dramatically, fairly dramatically. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. For example, I never really liked to drink coffee that much. Now it's my favorite drink in the world. I can't get enough of it. (laughs) How's that diaper duty coming out? You know what? I actually am pretty good at it. I don't mind it. Uh, Granted, it's gross nature, but I I feel like I'm doing my buddy a solid there, and eventually one day when I'm old enough and eating mushy peas and pooping myself, (laughs) he'll return that favor, and I just remember that every time he gives me a real nasty one. So it works out. That that is the true circle of life right there. Um, uh, so, uh, moving it on to, you know, between from life changing, um, events for us to maybe, uh, <laughs> you know, some significant moments for the Steelers, uh, today we're doing this on Wednesday, July 5th on Wednesday, July 26th for all of those mathematically impaired in our listening audience. That's three weeks from today. Uh, all players report to St. Vincent College. So three weeks off. from today. Three, Cannot believe how weeks. fast it got here. It's at your doorstep yes. already, though. And yes, it is. There's so much to do just beyond you know going up and observing practice at St. Vincent for training camp. There's just so much fun. I think we've said it on this podcast before. It's like a carnival, really, a carnival-like atmosphere. And what are some of the big dates, you know, right out of the gate that you have circled on your calendar with some events, maybe extending beyond just practice? Well, you know that that for those first few days, um, while they, um, according to the collective bargaining agreement, all NFL teams are required to go through what they call an acclimation period, which is uh, a couple three days of um, more football in shorts. You know, they will be wearing helmets. Uh, there will be no, you know, full contact. It, it will be similar to. Um, Mini, what happens at mini camp? What happened at mini camp? However, right. fans will be uh, allowed to attend, and you know it'll be a little bit more. I would imagine a little bit more intense, uh, more sense of urgency since it is training camp. So uh, the players report on the twenty sixth, the twenty seventh, then and the twenty eighth and the twenty ninth are those three uh, acclimation period days. Now, also on Saturday, July twenty ninth at training camp. Uh, there the will be the announcement of the Hall of Honor class of 2023. So, you know, fans are invited to, you know, come to campus as always. Uh, there will be practice that, excuse me, practice that day. The announcement typically will be before practice. Practices are scheduled at 155, you know, um, weather permitting. You always got to throw in weather permitting uh, when you're in Latrobe. Uh <laughs> 
And so, you know, Saturday the 29th, that'll be a, a, a multi-event kind of day. The, the third and final acclamation practice um, preceded by the announcement of the 2023 class of the Steelers Hall of Honor. Uh, and then Sunday, July 30th, which will be the team's fourth practice. That's the first day in pads. There will be hitting. And typically, uh, Mike Tomlin has used that first day uh, of practice in pads to set the tone in camp with backs on backers. And so, um, you know, that's something for fans. That's always fun to watch. Uh, I know it's fun. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, you get to find out a lot of uh, a lot about some young people really quickly, uh, and a lot of what he's looking for in those drills is, especially from the young people, you know, are they willing to do what is necessary? Especially if you're, you know, the running back or the tight end who is doing the blocking, as opposed to you know one of the linebackers uh, or safeties or whoever else is participating on the for the defense doing the rushing. You know, you have to be willing to, uh, you know, step up and, you know, absorb some contact to protect the, the quarterback. That's kind of the, there's no quarterback there, but to protect the quarterback because that's, you know, the uh, the purpose of that drill. And so, you know, you find out stuff about people right away. I remember last year, Jalen Warren. Oh, yeah. The undrafted rookie running back right away. Not that he was really good at it right away. But he didn't shy away willing. from it at all, yeah. Right. He was willing. And, you know, that's what you're looking for, uh, especially early from the young people. Now, as was the case, I just want to uh, tell fans about this, uh, as was the case last year, you know, training camp is free. Parking and admission are free for all fans. You know, some teams limited to uh, season ticket holders or other things like that. That's never been the Steelers' uh, process. But uh, you do have to secure tickets. Now, you don't have to pay for them, but you do have to, you know, sign up for them uh, and, you know, secure them is the, is the term that is used um, by the team uh, in this for this process. Now, the way to do that is very easy. You just go to Steelers.com on the homepage. You know, you'll scroll down not very far, and there's a, a display across the whole thing on the left. There's a picture of Najee Harris uh, on a logo that says Training Camp 2023. And then to the right, you'll see two links uh, to click on. One is Learn More About Training Camp, and the other link is Secure Tickets for Training Camp. So um, the, the league does limit the number of people who can attend a practice each day. So I would just, uh, you know, suggest to fans, if you're coming and you know when you want to come or there are certain things you want to see, go in and get secure your tickets now. You can do it now, and then you're just set up. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, all then, then the only thing you have to worry about is whether, uh, you know, Mother Nature <laughs> is going to be kind to you or not uh, on that particular day. But uh, it's always a fun time, lots to see. Uh, you'll get a chance to, you know, People send me questions, who looks good at this position or that position. Go to training camp, and you can decide for yourself. You know, maybe a nice little way to combat Mother Nature not having your best interest in her heart is going on that July 29th. So that way you at least get to witness the Hall of Honor class getting unveiled. You can at least say you went up there and saw something significant, you know. But 
definitely go and get your tickets now because, like we said, three weeks away, you're going to blink, and they're going to be moving into those dorms at St. Vincent. It's right here. Yeah, and let me just say this, too. Uh, Mike Tomlin uh, is not afraid to conduct practice in the rain. Lightning <laughs> is a different story. He will take the team off the field when there's lightning. But if it rains, you know, fans, bring your slickers, rain slickers or, you know, whatever, uh, and just hunker down because uh, it's not a situation where, you know, he's going to run up, run them up to the gym uh, the first time a few raindrops fall. He subscribes to the post office mantra, right? No rain, no sleet, no snow. We're out here practicing no matter what, except for a little. Light. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. Well, we got a ton of questions this week for this edition of Ask and Answer. Let's get right to it with our first one from William McGinley from Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. And he asks, you have commented on Jim Brown's career against the Steelers and how productive he was in a previous Ask and Answered. I'm old enough to remember how well John Henry Johnson played in that era. Didn't he outplay Brown a couple of times? Um, okay, let me, uh, you know, outplay is a fairly strong word when you're referring to Jim Brown. <laughs> Um, even though John Henry Johnson is a Hall of Fame fullback in his own right, let's let's I want to make that clear. I understand that, but you know, um, I've gone through all of the Steelers Browns matchups during the era when you know John Henry Johnson played for the Steelers and Jim Brown played for for Cleveland. Uh, and the only way, the only game in which I would say that the term outplay would be accurate. Uh, was the 1964 game um, in Municipal Stadium, which is what, um, you know, they called that mistake on the lake uh, in Cleveland. Uh, and that was a Saturday night game. And the Steelers' defense was really banged up. A lot of defensive linemen were hurt. Uh, and they came up with this hybrid weird defense that had extra linebackers and whatever it was. I mean, it was kind of piecemeal together. Now, in today's NFL, I mean, that kind of uh, personnel grouping, you know, is just part of a normal package that teams will use depending on down and distance. But back in 1964, that was fairly revolutionary stuff. Uh, that defense held Jim Brown to uh, 59 yards on eight carries. John Henry Johnson uh, had 30 carries for 200 yards and three touchdowns in a 23-7 to Steelers victory. Um, two things. I'm old enough to have been there that day. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I'm old enough to remember is uh, the 1964 season ended uh, with the Cleveland Browns winning the NFL championship. So that was a very good Browns team that the Steelers beat in Cleveland. Uh, and John Henry Johnson lit up that uh, Browns defense that day, that night, too. A man with lesser integrity would not admit that he was alive and there for witnessing a Browns <laughs> yeah. championship team in person labs, but that's why you're different. That's why you separate yourself from the rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, some things you might as well just, um, I found you might as well just admit <laughs> because they will become apparent uh, on their own often. Luke McDermott from Leechburg, PA asks, NFL Network recently rebroadcast Super Bowl X the Steelers' first matchup with the Dallas Cowboys with a Lombardi trophy at stake. As the offensive line was introduced, Mike Webster was notably absent. I knew that Ray Mansfield continued at center the first couple of years Webster was in the league, but I thought Webster started at guard until Mansfield retired. Was Webster injured? Um, no, he was not injured. Um, the Super Bowl X came at the end of the 1975 season. 
and Mike Webster didn't become a full-time starter until 1976. Um, and he only started one game in each of the 1974 and 75 regular seasons. Now, Mike Webster did play some guard early in his career, but he did not start at guard. Um, Chuck Knoll in the early 70s, uh, he alternated the centers by quarter. Uh, and that, uh, at first, that rotation involved Ray Mansfield and Jim Clack, and they alternated by quarters. And then later in the decade, the rotation included uh, Webster, as Clack then was traded uh, to the Giants, I believe. So, you know, for example, you know, the 1972 playoffs in the game that can be known as the Immaculate Reception, that offensive line was made up of John Kolb and Jerry Mullins at offensive tackle, Sam Davis and Bruce Van Dyke were the guards, and Clack was the center. Despite what the way NFL films uh, portrayed it uh, in their um, highlights or um, their look at the Immaculate Reception, you see the Steelers breaking the huddle and Ray Mansfield is the center. But they did that because, the Sable, Steve Sable did that because they didn't have a picture of the Steelers' offensive line actually breaking the huddle for that play. So they just substituted another one. And normally against most teams, you know, the offensive line is the same. But for the Steelers, it was not. And so Mansfield at center kind of gave away that that was not the, the personnel grouping for that you know, particular play. So anyway, um, Super Bowl ten as, as to, to uh, address the question specifically, uh, Webster played in the game, but he didn't start at either guard or center. Uh, in that game, the starters were Ray Mansfield at center, the starting guard. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Parts were Clack and Jerry Mullins. You said it's just funny to hear that they didn't have the footage uh, of them breaking the huddle because nowadays you could see a team breaking a huddle in every game pretty much from space. I mean, there's like 85 million different camera angles on the smallest oh, yeah. little and, things. And if and if they don't have it from field level, they have it from that boom camera yeah. that's floating over the field. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no such thing as we didn't get that <laughs> angle. There's way, way, way too many cameras or more cameras on the field, too many cameras to miss anything, you know. So if you're ever standing on the sideline, I mean, don't even pick your nose uh, because somebody <laughs> will have it on camera somewhere. Ed Henry from Roswell, New Mexico. Going into year two with Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris, and the receiving core under offensive coordinator Matt Canada again this season, if this team struggles offensively, how fast does the trigger get pulled on letting Canada go? Yes, July 5th, and we want to know when we're firing the guy. Um, okay, uh, you know, I've talked about this previously. I'll go over it again here. Um, since Dan Rooney assumed control of the team's football operations in the mid to late 50s, uh, the Steelers really have not believed in making changes to the coaching staff during the season. And Dan Rooney's philosophy for that was this. 
if you fire a coach, and usually then, you know, in that era, you only fired the assist uh, the head coach. I mean, assistants really weren't that. They were a contributing part of the coaching staff, but they weren't the, um, you know, rock stars that the, a lot of them are now, or, or not so much rock stars, but guys who garnered a lot of attention. And he believed that if you fire a head coach during the middle of the season, you got you got to give somebody the job. You got to hire an interim guy or appoint an interim guy. Okay, so you appoint this interim guy, and say he wins, you know, four out of the last five games. All right, so now, even though he might not be the best candidate for the job, if you opened it up to a big search, you're you're somewhat obligated slash getting pressure to to hire this interim guy as opposed to doing the right thing, which is conducting a real uh, search and finding yourself, you know, the best man for the job beyond, you know, just a, a few games in one half of one season, as an example. So uh, the Steelers don't believe in that. They've never done it um, since uh, Chuck Knoll was hired. They didn't even do it uh, the year, again, you know, Mike... Um, Bill Austin, excuse me, I was calling him Mike for some reason. Bill Austin, the, the head coach who preceded Chuck Knoll, he was allowed to finish out, you know, his full three years, and then he was fired, and then the search uh, followed that and uh, uh, led them to Chuck Knoll. So uh, that's the Steelers don't fire people in the middle of the season. I explained to you why, uh, and so I don't believe that that would happen uh, this year with the offensive coordinator, or any other coaches uh, on the staff. Vince Grabowski from Milwaukee, Wisconsin asks, with 1,000 career regular season catches, over 12,000 yards receiving, and 80-plus touchdowns, not to mention that in his career he missed only seven regular season games, it would be great to see these accomplishments of Heinz Ward rewarded with an enshrinement in Canton. Hines also was part of two Super Bowl winning teams and was the MVP of a Super Bowl. Do you feel there are any negatives on his resume keeping him from having a bust, or is it just timing? Um, I don't really see any holes in, in his resume. Um, and in addition to the, the numbers that Vince cited, uh, I also you know believe that Hines uh, Ward is deserving of recognition for being the physical presence at wide receiver as a blocker that he was for an offense that primarily was run first throughout his career. Um, I just, I just think that it's, you know, it's timing in the sense, it's timing really in the sense of two things. One, it's timing in the sense that I think that receivers statistics are the sense is, let me say it this way, the sense is that these uh, statistics are watered down a little bit because of the proliferation of passing in the league. I mean, you know, 1,000-yard seasons for receivers were were rare and then, you know, well, very rare and then rare. Now they're kind of commonplace. They just are. So yardage, catches, even touchdowns to some degree uh, don't mean what they used to. You know, like in baseball, it used to be 300 wins for a pitcher was a Hall of Fame number. Right. Um, for a, a wide receiver, 1,000 catches, you know, used to be a Hall of Fame number. Uh, now that's not so much the case. So there's that going working against him. And I also believe that there is Steelers fatigue at work among the board of selectors because the Steelers had five members of the organization elected in the 20, 
2020 and 2021 classes. Okay, five. So, you know, a, that, I don't think that that's fair that there's Steelers fatigue, but I think it's real. Yes. And I think that that's also working uh, to some degree against Heinz Wards and Shryman. I just hope that, you know, at some point, um, you know, that kind of um, dissolves a little bit. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, those board, the board of selectors is represented by every NFL team, you know, and then there's some at-large guys. And, you know, it doesn't take many people to say either among themselves or in that meeting, hey, we have enough Steelers. And then so, they, you know, you don't get the votes and, and you don't get in. So, you know, hopefully that dissipates us here soon. And, you know, Heinz Ward is able to be um, recognized for the kind of player he was, which, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame player. Mark Resnick from Henderson, Nevada, has our last question of the day, and he wants to know, growing up in Pittsburgh, I remember when Myron Cope introduced the terrible towel to Steelers fans. Nowadays, it seems like every team has fans waving some sort of towel or hanky at games in the NFL, the NHL, etc. Did Myron start this, or were there such things on a large scale prior to it? Um, Myron Cope did not start that trend of waving things at NFL games. However, he perfected it uh, and also made it um, something that benefited the community through the proceeds. Uh, so going back to the, the history of twirling things at NFL games, uh, it began with the Dolphins, uh, the early 70s, um, you know, the perfect team, uh, you know, the unbeaten team, I won't say perfect, they think they were perfect, but they were undefeated. That was 72. You know, the Dolphins fans in the Orange Bowl, they would wave white hankies. Uh, why they came up with white hankies, I don't know, but that's what they did. The Dolphins often wore uh, white jerseys at home games. So maybe that had something to do with it. I'm speculating there. So then, after that, the Raiders, who wore black jerseys at home and were primary competitors in the AFC to the Dolphins in during that same time period, they came out with the black socks or black somethings. I assume they were socks. Who knows? Who knows with Raiders fans, you know, um, if they even wore socks or had any in their drawers I, at home. Um, but anyway, so then the Raiders came out with the black socks. So Myron uh, was charged with coming up with something uh, before the Steelers playoffs uh, in 1975, and he came up with the, the idea of the terrible towel, and at the time, you know, he was telling fans, just bring a towel from home. There was no, you didn't buy a, a merchandise. There was no Myron Cope's I mean, official yet, of course. There was not. I mean, and, you know, there was really no merchandise in the NFL to be purchased anyway. What That wasn't that big of a deal then. And so, you know, he came up with the idea of the terrible towel, you know, and at the time, you know, just bring a any kind of towel, a gold towel, a black towel. It didn't matter the color. Bring it to the games, and um, you know, Cope would activate it. You know, for activate the mojo of the terrible towel uh, when it was needed. The the magic of it, he de he determined it was a big enough game to be you know necessary to call upon the special powers, you know, of his invention. And coping the consummate salesman, I mean, he sold it great. Uh, and the people did it. And so that's how it began. 
Uh, then the terrible towel kind of became the industry leader in the twirling laundry uh, or something at a game category. And then the partnership then blossomed uh, where the Allegheny Valley School for Disabled Children uh, became the beneficiary of the sale, you know, once official terrible towels became, you know, marketed and sold. And uh, the school has uh, benefited with millions of dollars um, raised by the terrible towel uh, for what I believe is a very worthy cause. Well, that's all we got for you today, Labs. I got to go change some diapers. And don't be a stranger. <laughs> Whenever you want to come over to get your handiwork done and change some diapers for me, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, thanks for the offer, truly. <laughs> but I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to expose your son to uh, my fumbling fingers <laughs> when it was would come to that. And I, I honestly don't know if if my gag reflex could handle it. So I'm going to leave that up to you. I think you're very uh, you're very capable, and you know. Um, Doing your job besides this, uh, shoveling poop is kind of what you do <laughs> on a daily basis to some uh, degree, and I think you're uniquely qualified for it. So carry on, Thomas. Uh, you have my full support. I think that was a compliment, although I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> Thanks again. That makes it perfect. That makes it perfect. <laughs> Thanks again for giving us a listen. Get your questions into labs, and we will be back again next week with another edition of Asked and Answered. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.